From Exodus chapters 3, verses 17 through chapter 4, verse 7. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said if they faced war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp. Pharaoh will think, The Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of his best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. You may be seated. We're in this series right now going through the book of Exodus calling it Following the Invisible God. And the idea is that these stories in the book of Exodus, each one of them tells us something important. Oh, I'm hearing that I'm not coming through the mic. Is that right? Can you hear me now? All right. Each one of these stories in the book of Exodus tells us something important about who God is. And because of that, because of, of who God is, there's something about how we are called to live as followers of Jesus Christ. Because of who God is, we are called to live in specific ways as followers of Jesus Christ. And today we are talking about the effect on us that God is our protector. We're going to be talking about walking by faith this morning. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Skipping way ahead briefly, the Apostle Paul, he uses this phrase, walk by faith. Now, he's been talking in 2 Corinthians 5 about a couple of things, about the difference between worldly things and eternal things. And, and he tells us that we're supposed to fix our eyes on, to set our minds and hearts on holiness. Because that's what we're made for. That's the purpose for which we were created. And then, in verse 7... He says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. And what he means by that, I think, is that those of us who believe in Jesus live always with him in mind. He means that being a Christian isn't just living your life and, and adding Jesus as a little extra something on the side. Walking by faith means that your, your relationship with Christ, your devotion to him is all consuming. It's life affecting to the very core. A person accepts Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, repents of their sins and commits their life to him. They receive the Holy Spirit and they are changed through and through. That's why even a little bit later the Apostle Paul talks about that change this way. He says that those who are in Christ are new creations because when we, when we accept him we're changed through and through. And walking by faith means keeping that change in mind and living it out every day in every action and every choice. 
And this story, even though it's so much earlier in Scripture, is a story of God's people imperfectly, like you and I do, walking by faith. And so I want to dive in, and I want you to have that idea. And that leads us to our single-sentence sermon summary this morning. That God calls us to walk by faith, and he protects us as we imperfectly struggle with it. I'll say that again for those of you that are note takers. God calls us to walk by faith and he protects us as we imperfectly struggle with it. Now, for those of you who may not be as familiar with the story, the ten plagues have just happened, ending with the death of the firstborn. This story that, that's very hard for us today to hear, to think of a loving God committing such an act, but it was in service of his goal to not only let his people go, but to create a story of his saving them, of who he was for them to know. We talked about that a few weeks ago, the way that the plagues are, are God's introduction to his people. And so finally, they're released. And as they as they're sent out, Pharaoh's heart and pride are broken, and he lets them go. And actually, God, he, he, he surprises everyone a little. He doesn't tell them to go in a straight line because he's afraid that if they are to run into trouble, they might turn around and run back for Egypt because while trouble's still going to find them, when it does, they don't have anywhere to go. He's not done teaching them about who he is yet. So he takes them in this, this kind of indirect course away from Egypt to Mount Sinai. And after they've been gone for just a little while, or while they're gone, I'm sorry, God leads them by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by night. Can you imagine? You've just witnessed the ten plagues. God going up against the Egyptian gods, showing that he is utterly and completely superior to them. And then being led by this pillar of cloud and this pillar of fire, can you imagine the confidence that it would inspire in your God? Can you imagine the faith that it would cause? Can you imagine how you could go into any struggle then with that physical reminder of God so easily you would never doubt again? If you can, you're probably wrong. I'm sorry to tell you that. That's not the way we work. Even though they have these physical reminders and manifestations of God's power, when Pharaoh changes his mind and comes after them, because remember, in the ancient world, they believed that gods were territorial and temperamental and finicky. And so this God who protected them and saved them from Egypt, it was only a matter of time before he left them. And there they are wandering in the wrong direction. I think Pharaoh thought God has abandoned them finally. I'm going to go get my slaves back. So they, they, they see that Pharaoh is coming and God's people, they, uh, they don't respond the way that we would hope that they do. Now, I think that there's, there's three things in this story that kind of talk to us or, or tell us about one element of walking by faith. So there's three things about walking by faith that we find in this story. We're going to look at them one at a time. The first one is this, that walking by faith requires a holy trust. Walking by faith requires a holy trust. 
And the, the thing about it is, that as soon as you start this process of, of, of following God, of following after Jesus, there's going to be things immediately, very quickly, that just don't make sense to you. Scripture will call you to, to a level of righteousness that might not seem necessary. Or it might be that God's opinion on something and your opinion on something differ wildly. And we can't see or understand the difference. So walking by faith requires a holy trust, an acknowledgement that he is greater than we are, that he knows better than we do, and that we're better relying on him than on ourselves. And that's here at the beginning of the story, verse 17 in chapter 13. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though it was shorter. For God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. And that makes sense to us because it has an explanation. But can you understand how odd that must have been? We know we need to go from A to B and God's leading us in the wrong direction. It was an order that didn't make sense. They were called to follow him anyway. When you and God disagree, you should always look for an explanation. We have this habit sometimes of thinking that questioning and doubting are bad things. Parents, if, you're, if your children are asking questions, please understand that that is a good thing. If there are questions you don't have the answer to, that's not a reason to be afraid. It's an invitation to join them in the midst of the question, to come alongside them in the midst of the doubting and walk through it with them. Because if they come to feel safe, asking you their questions, expressing their doubts, wondering why the gap between their understanding and God's word is so wide, if they come to feel comfortable coming to you with those things, then they will come to you with those things. That's a thing to nurture. Now, some of us are questioners. As you sit here, you know whether or not I'm talking about you. Maybe you're that person who, when you hear something, you, you want to know the why. It's not enough that it just says it in God's word. You may be willing to obey it, but you'd like to know why. And some of you don't need the why, right? Some of our hearts are different than that. We just need to know it's what God said. Both of those are good. What's important for us is to remember that it is not a flaw to question. When that gap between God's word and what we think reveals itself, it's not something to shy away from. It's something to explore. Now, if you are a questioner, I do want to tell you this. If you're, if you're struggling with doubts, if you go through a time where you struggle with doubts, you need to remember that you're called to a holy trust. And that doesn't mean stop questioning. What it means is stay as you question. I've never found a question I couldn't find some help from God resolving. I've never found a question I've never been able to, to satisfactorily come to something I'm comfortable with. Now, that doesn't mean I have an answer to all my questions. If you know me a little, you know I like to ask a lot of questions. What it does mean is that over and over and over again, those times of questioning have come to greater and deeper understanding. But if you have doubts and you keep them to yourself and you just let them grow and you let them fester, then they're going to draw your heart away from faith. They're, they're, 
they're toxic to holy trust. You need to share them, and you need to stay in it while you explore them. So walking by faith requires a a holy trust, knowing that when you and God disagree, you should look for an explanation. But in the end, you take his wisdom and not your own. The next thing about, in this story about walking by faith is, is that walking by faith requires a God focus. And that's hard for us because our inclination is not to focus outside of ourselves. Our inclination is to focus on ourselves. Part of the twisting of our hearts that happens from the disease of sin is that we get so occupied by us. And if you can think about how absurd it is, if you live in in a universe where God is present, this creator, this sustainer, this almighty, perfect being, this beautiful, wonderful creator and lover of souls, and you, and think that looking in a mirror is the most important thing you can do, you can see how absurd that would be. But that is our inclination. Sin does lead us to self-focus. In chapter 14, verses 10 through 14, we start to lose heart on the faith and the commitment of the Israelites to their God because despite the pillar of cloud, despite the pillar of fire, despite the ten plagues, this is how they respond when Pharaoh approaches. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, so they they cried out to the Lord. I do want to draw attention to that. Their first reflex was to pray, which is a good thing. It doesn't look like they prayed very long. Here's what comes next. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? In other words, Moses, was there just not enough space In Egypt, that you needed us to come and die out here? What are you doing? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. In other words, we're not confident that God will protect us. They are afraid. And their fear immediately makes them focus on themselves. They lose sight of the God whose very manifestation is before them. A God whose power and miracles they'd seen over and over. It takes a little bit of fear. And the focus goes right back on to themselves. But Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. That that phrase, be still, is a theme that runs through Scripture. And it doesn't just mean don't move. It means that in a way, but not physically. Stillness is about quieting what's going on inside of you so that your focus can leave you and turn to the Lord. Stillness is something that we have to learn to find. It does not come naturally to any of us. Pastor Ben and I were blessed to go on a spiritual retreat 
this last week to the Kiara Center in Springfield. And if you've never been and you're looking for a time and an opportunity to be alone with God, I suggest setting something up to go there. It's wonderful. But the theme of the retreat was stillness. And there was something about spending time in silence and in solitude that, that allows you to more easily turn focus away from yourself. If you're like me, you lead an unbelievably busy life. Sometimes we let our lives get so busy that just the going through them is a process we wouldn't wish on anybody because there's just so much to do. I talk about silence and solitude, and you might say, when would I find the time? But we have to understand that we need to work at, we need to practice, we need to make space for this God focus to develop, and our lives must include time to do so. You should come to church. Coming to church is a very good thing. Communal worship is something we're called to do, and it's incredibly beneficial. You cannot overstate how important worshiping together as a community is, but it is absolutely essential that you make time to engage with God on your own as much as you can apart from distractions. Now, that may not be possible, and if it's not, he can work in the midst of it, but you make a space to be silent, to be still. Usually being physically still does help quieting what's inside. You go to the Word and you spend time in prayer and you do it again and again and again and again. And stillness is something that God aids you in. It's not by your power but His, but you've got to make a space for it. And he'll help you to turn that attention from yourself and on to him. Moses is saying to the Israelites, listen, I know you're afraid. Pharaoh is coming. The most powerful army in the world is coming. 600 chariots. That was a force that was unbelievable in the ancient world. And here the Israelites are, un, un, not ready at all, unequipped for battle. And yet Moses says, be Still, turn your heart from yourself and watch what the Lord will do. I think that's good advice for all of us at any point in our lives. We have to, in order to walk by faith, we have to learn a God focus. Now, when we don't have that, when we have a self-focus, I think faith can still exist, but it, it tends to take on a few different flavors. If you're, if you're stuck in a place where you're focusing on yourself, where, where you have a difficult time turning and just being, recognizing, being still before God, then your faith is going to look like a couple of different things. One way that the faith appears in that kind of state is an, what I call an unmoving faith. In other words, I believe. But that a belief just doesn't affect my life. In other words, I, 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 some people think of faith as just belief, right? It's just a thing that you have to agree to, mentally assent to. I believe, I go to church, maybe I even read my Bible occasionally. Isn't that enough? And the answer is no. Faith is deeper and richer than that. It's not just belief. James chapter 2 says that even the demons believe. 
Faith requires trust and commitment and obedience. It's richer. If I have an unmoving faith, you will not be able to tell I have a faith at all, except perhaps where I go on Sunday morning. The next flavor or next way that faith can appear if it's focused on self is it can become what I call a faith gone stale. Now, I want you to hear this because I don't want anyone to take this harshly. All of us go through periods where our faith feels stale. We remember a passion that we used to have and we feel for whatever reason like it is not the same today. Perhaps God seems distant to us. Perhaps we don't understand why we're going through what we're going through. And so if we can't reconcile it, and so going to the Lord is painful or difficult. All of us experience times when our faith goes stale, but one thing that I believe is common in those times is that we've allowed ourselves to turn back to a self-focus. What is needed is stillness. What is needed is a return to setting our eyes and hearts and thoughts on the Lord. And it doesn't happen immediately. It's not as though you have one morning, maybe you do. Maybe it would happen and that would be wonderful, that it would take a day and your heart would be aflame for the Lord again. But usually it's something that takes time and diligence. But if we're able to do that, if we're able to to make space, if we're able to diligently, in a disciplined way, go to the Lord again and again, we're going to start to sense our heart aflame, a faith ignited, not a faith that's stale, not a faith that doesn't move us, but a faith that's on fire. And it's not us that does it, it is the Lord who does, but we have to make a space for him to do it. He waits for us in the stillness. The next thing that we learn in this passage about walking by faith is that it requires a difficult obedience. So we need a a holy trust, and we need a God focus, and we need a difficult obedience. We don't like that word, obedience. Actually, we do like it as long as it's not aimed at us. Right? It's a word we don't mind talking about children toward their parents, but I'll tell you what, at some point we kind of decide that obedience is great as long as we're talking about someone else. You might even feel something when I say that word, obedience or submission. It rankles us internally a bit, and that is the sickness of sin. I want to read for you chapter 14, verses 15 to 20. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? And I don't think he's chastising Moses there. I think he's he's saying, I want you to do something, and here's what I want you to do. Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea onto dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. 
And then the angel of God, who'd been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved in front of them and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. And throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other, so that neither went near the other all night long. A couple things about this part of the story. First, can you just imagine... Can you just imagine what it would be like to see God move to protect you from an army that's coming in? Can you imagine the excitement, the way that your heart would pound if you're one of the Israelites? The greatest, most powerful army in the world is on the other side, but they're on the other side of a wall of flame. So you feel a little bit better about it couple of things about this story. I I remember one of my Bible college professors talking us through the story and telling us about a common objection that people would try to use to explain away the miracles in the Old Testament. And one common thought was, you know, there could be coral in the Red Sea. And so instead of the waters actually parting, the Israelites would would walk along the coral and, and it wouldn't go very deep. And so they'd be able to move safely. So it would look like maybe they had walked across the Red Sea when actually they hadn't. And I remember my professor saying, you know, I'm totally okay with that. Because I don't know what makes God greater. Parting the Red Sea or drowning all of Pharaoh's army in three inches of water. I mean, either either one would do the trick. It's a powerful and exciting story, but... But if you think about what's going on in the Israelites, if you can think about what, what this might have been like for them, packing up wasn't a slow process or wasn't a quick process. It was a long, long thing to do. And they don't know where they're going. There's the pillar of fire, right? It's separating them from Egypt. They're called to, to get ready to move, but there's an army and a sea. And they're stuck. And God says, get ready. And they've got to be obedient, even though they don't understand what's happening. Walking by faith requires us to be ready to obey, even when it's hard, even when we're scared. I had a student a while ago, I'll never forget the phone call. They wanted to know what they should do. You see, college had started relatively recently, and um, they didn't realize all the bits about reading a syllabus. And if you've, if you've been to college recently, you'll, you'll know exactly what I mean. Your first year, there's a, there's a learning curve with figuring out that your teacher isn't actually going to tell you all the details. You've got you've to read the syllabus to know what to do. The student realized the day of that they'd misunderstood and a thing they thought was due on Saturday was due on Tuesday, and it was Tuesday. And so they they were required to do some some observations, some different things, and and so they made them up in a panic, and they turned in the assignment. And then you know what happens, right? You panic and you you do something you shouldn't have done, and then the wall of guilt comes. And this student, they, they called, and they were asking, you know, what do I do now? Because if I, if I confess, I mean, I'm, I'm weeks into school, and the policy says I could lose my spot at school. I could fail the class. 
I'm, I'm weeks in and I could fail if I'm honest. And what I was so proud of is that this student wasn't saying, I'm not going to do it. This student was saying, I know the right thing. I'm just afraid. And we prayed together, and I was so proud. This student went in and confessed to the teacher's assistant. And, and I was hoping, I was sure. I went, to, I went to a school where I would expect grace, and I know that not every school is the school I went to. But when I got the call back and found out, actually, most of the students hadn't done the assignment because the syllabus was really confusing. And so the student was, the student was in the clear and not in trouble because they rescheduled things. But that moment, right, we see it in hindsight, but that moment, can you, can you just feel the fear? Most of us have those experiences. Am I going to do what God calls me to do, even though the consequences might be terrible? Walking by faith requires a difficult obedience. God calls us to walk by faith, and he protects us as we imperfectly struggle with it. I want you to know that this call to walk by faith, it's something that that every single person has a hard time with. It's not always easy for anyone. If you think about this idea of putting your, your faith into action, of living your life in accordance with it, and if you immediately think of your failures, your pitfalls, your flaws, you're not alone. But there's this other piece about God protecting us I want to talk about for just a moment. First, I want you to know this, that God's protection does not mean that you'll live an easy life. I want you to hear that. When we talk about God's protection, that does not mean that you will live an easy life. In fact, we see in Scripture over and over again an expectation for just the opposite. Oftentimes, walking by faith leads to life giving you struggles it might not otherwise do. The Apostle Paul, who did a pretty good job of walking by faith, said this in 2 Corinthians 4. He said, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but we are not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For who we are, or for we who are alive, are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal Body. In other words, God's protection does not mean life will be easy. What does it mean? It means that you are never alone. It means that every struggle that you go through, God gives an opportunity to lean in and draw closer to him in the midst of. It means that while the evil one is at work all the time in our lives trying to tempt us to murder us, forever, that God's protection allows us to stand up, to lean on him 
in the midst of it. It means that no one can snatch you from his hand. It means that the good work he's begun in you, he will carry into completion. It means that you can rely on the faithfulness of God because even though everyone else might break faith, God will always be faithful. It means that no matter what you're going through right now, whatever tragedy, whatever struggle, whatever apathy, whatever sadness, whatever fury, whatever unforgiveness you're going through right now, God is at work in the midst of it. And if you will draw close to him, he will draw near to you. God protects us. He protects our spirit and he'll carry us all the way through this life filled of wonder and excitement and joys and struggles and temptation and failures and pain into a life that is lived with, with him with an intimacy that we can never know here a life that lasts forever, a life that we will look back on these struggles we've had from and say, I see how God was working in the midst of it. That's the promise of the protection of God. And I want to encourage you today to have trust in that protection and to walk by faith. If you're down right now, if you've fallen, it's time to stand back up and walk by faith. If you've never done this yet, it's time to accept Jesus and walk by faith. Pray with me. Father God, we come before you thankful for blessings. We love you and we praise you. And we ask you right now to stir up our hearts. Lord, to, to bring us, to give us a holy trust, a focus on you, and an obedience to obey you even when it's hard, even when it doesn't make sense. God, we ask that whatever is going on, whatever struggles we have, whatever pitfalls we've fallen into, that you'd pull us up and that you'd set us on the right path to walk after you once again. We pray these things in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.